Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining me again. We are in the fall of 1984 in Atlanta, Georgia. And I am in a beautiful sun-filled apartment on the third floor on Ponce de Leon Avenue. Now this apartment was a wonder. I mean, all my friends were like, whoa, how did you score this? It was great because it was, as I said, six rooms. It was insane. So huge and luxurious in a lot of ways. And I loved and still do to this day. I love setting up house and I love painting, love painting rooms. It just always brings this beautiful freshness to any space. And it's something that I'm really great at. I love to do uh, wall painting. I don't know why. It's just a talent that I enjoy a lot. But in this particular apartment, because I didn't have any furniture really in any way, I had all this wild open floor space. And so I decided to go with the floor first. I decided to paint the floor. I painted it this soft gray and then did this whole crazy splatter treatment with pink and white. So it was a gray floor splattered all over with pink and white and it was really just fun. Crazy uh, 1980s decor solution that I would never do now, but it was great. Both sides of the apartment had sort of a sunroom, out jutting room on either end and one of them faced the courtyard in the center between the two buildings and it did get the morning sun which was great and so I would sit there and write but apparently not really writing about my life I don't know what I was writing maybe short stories but I don't have any written record of this time so it is just my recollections here. So I'll do the best I can. But in any case, then in the center, when you first walked into the door, there was two huge rooms in succession, kind of divided by a wall space that might have had French doors in it at one point. And uh, those were like the dining, you know, the living room, dining room area. And then there was a hallway and a bathroom and a small kitchen and a bedroom off the side. And the bathroom had a clawfoot tub in it. I mean, by New York standards, it was luxurious. And I felt so, so lucky with this place. And I decided that it couldn't be only for me. So I had to have some kind of companion there. And the first one that I found was a tiny kitten that my friends Mark and Jeff had discovered behind the building. And I agreed to take it. It was obviously abandoned and feral and unfortunately It was so needy and so distressed all the time, and I didn't know what to do with it. I wasn't an experienced pet owner in any way then, so I thought, you know, you get the 
companion animal and you just hang out and that's it. So I didn't do the things like I do now, of course, which is anytime my pets are distressed, I take them immediately. What's going on? I got to go and see the vet. So this baby, I didn't know besides feeding it and giving it a litter box what else to do. And it died very soon after I got it. And that was very sad. And I felt very guilty about that for a long time. And still do sometimes because that poor little boo-boo didn't deserve such ignorant treatment. In any case, I got luckier the second time because Mark and Jeff had heard there was going to be an adoption time just down the street at uh, one of these, you know, strip malls. And Mary and I decided to go and take a look and see what kind of animals they had. And there was a pen with these puppies that were probably like two months old at that point. And they were a mix between a Labrador retriever and a poodle. And at this point, those are designer dogs, right? We call them Labradoodles. And everybody wants one. And you pay $2,000 for one at this point. But these were mutts and they were giving them away. And all I had to do was make sure that I would give it shots and get it neutered. So I signed on the dotted line and I got this sweet little boy who was black all over and curly haired and so adorable. And I called him Max because Dave and I had said that if we ever had a kid, we would call him Max. So this was our kid in some funny way, even though it was my kid. And I loved Max, and Max turned out to be one of the greatest dogs that I ever, ever had. And I had him for a very long time, long past my kids, when my kids were born and stuff. So that was really fun. And Mary picked herself up a cute little white scrapper of a thing that she actually named Scraps. It was so cute and tiny. And Max and Scraps were buddies. They loved each other. They had playdates all the time. And we took them walking together and, and they wrestled and it was great. And again, part of being not a responsible pet owner, I mean, I knew how to train dogs because I had trained Tiggy really well with a long, long leash and taught her to come back to me when I called her so I could walk her off leash and she was fantastic. So I aimed to do the same thing with Max. I did have a leash and I was aware that it was the big city instead of not my little country home, Sneen's Landing. So I walked him on leash, but he was also really, really good about staying by me. And he was just marvelous in all ways, and I loved him. So Max and I were buddies and companions, and I had to fit him into my schedule as well in these crazy times. Another fellow that I took up with during this time was named Jim, and he was a year ahead of me at the Portfolio Center and a photographer and so much more accomplished than me already. So I think that when I first started being around him, it was more worshipful and like, oh my God, teach me what you know, you're so incredible. He was an on-the-street kind of photographer. He really was not shy about getting up in people's faces and taking fantastic shots of them. So I loved that, and I wanted to incorporate that into my work as well. And he had a 240Z, which was, at the time, a really exciting car. So he would, you know, tempt me, take me driving and stuff, and we fell into a relationship 
And I remember that car was distinctive and you could always tell when he was around school or whatever. But I thought that he was also involved with lots of other women because he told stories of driving downtown in Atlanta at one point where there was a really bad cold snap one night and uh, he was driving through the center of town and this hooker knocked on his window and screamed in, please let me give you a blowjob. It's so freezing out here. And so he was worldly in some way that I wasn't. And I was fascinated by him and attracted to him. And we started sleeping together also. But I thought that was no big deal because I thought it was just one of his many. So it suited me fine. Meanwhile, my Dave back in New York had moved in with my grandmother because it was a free place to live in exchange for helping her with chores. And he had a beautiful bedroom and he had a big attic studio space where he could work. And my grandmother was grateful for the company. After Uncle John had died, her third husband, she didn't really want to think about having another husband, but she was lonely. And she ended up having a string of companions later on, women who were women. But I think Dave was a breath of fresh air for her. She knew him, and he was more than willing to do all of the difficult things, you know, like bring in wood for the fire and all of those things. He and I communicated weekly. I think he was looking for work in New York City at that point. He had finished his degree. And he was also working out at the local gym, the diplomat that we had taken all those t-shirts from. And there was an aerobics teacher there who he brought up sometimes in conversation. And so I wondered if he was dating her because he spoke about her in glowing terms. But then I thought maybe he was, that was too awkward because he was living at my grandmother's house. So it was a little confusing. And as the fall wore on and I was having these other relationships, I started to pull farther and farther away from him becoming convinced that I was just not the marrying type, obviously, because that word slut kept going around in my head. And I was like, you can't get married. Look at you. You're a mess. I was involved in this pile of casual relationships. I also started dating Zia, who somehow felt similarly safe in a way because we had already heard that he would be returning to India to marry a woman that his parents had chosen. I remember asking him about that one afternoon as we lay entangled in the sheets, and he spoke about it very matter-of-factly, as a filial duty and nothing more. He said wistfully at some point that when they had raised their children and completed their family obligations, he would divorce her in return and marry me when we were both in our 50s, and we could live out the rest of our lives happily together. And that left me kind of sad and almost heartbroken, but strangely comforted at the same time. It was like something to look forward to, weirdly. So as I said, I, I had no written record of this time because I simply had no time to do that, although I had a beautiful space to do it in. But if you're keeping track, I was currently dating four guys at the same time. And then there was the dog and my schoolwork. And oh my God, my mom came to visit during the height of this madness and she was astonished at my exploits. <laughs> 
but not in a bad way. Where another mom might have given me a stern lecture about morality and scandal, my mom was almost envious and she wanted a full account of every detail so that she could live vicariously. At this point, she was no longer dating Phyllis, the woman that she had been with during our China trip. She was still close to her, of course, as lesbians somehow managed to do a much better job of staying friends after breakups, or at least that's how it seemed to me from her example. And she and Virginia were still very much tied to one another in platonic ways. And mom was still trying to foster and encourage Virginia's career as a musician, which really had never amounted to anything. Although Virginia had a beautiful singing voice and played the guitar so well to accompany herself when she sang, and she had practiced endlessly during the time that she lived with us to the point that it drove me to madness, she never succeeded in making the final push to promote herself as a performer. She claimed that she had crippling stage fright. It seemed like such a giant waste of time to me to have so much talent and just do the thing only in the privacy of your own study. It was one of the numerous ways that I found her confusing and infuriating. And the most recent way was in, in the way that she had persuaded my mother to support her by finagling some convoluted palimony arrangement after they broke up for good. And this came in the form of a house, not just a house, but one of the strangest structures ever to have been built in Sneedon's Landing. My mom had purchased this property way back in the woods, and she allowed Virginia to build a house on it that would function as a performance space, a rehearsal studio, a home, and a recording studio. And this was the newest branch of Virginia's exploration of music as a career, she was going to record other people's work. She'd always been kind of a techie of sorts, and she loved equipment, always, like stereo equipment. That was the thing that really jazzed her. So she outfitted her studio with all of the latest gadgets, and she named the place Toad Hall after that Wind in the Willows place that belonged to Mr. Toad. And she set up residence and business there. Much later, my Birdman friend Andy would make a recording there, and I even had a coffeehouse-type show there one time. But mostly, I tried not to think about how much money my mom had lavished on a relationship that she was no longer benefiting from in terms of intimacy at all. Part of her was fine with it, as she had freedom to explore new paths with various other women, too, at this point. So mom and I were both free agents at the same time, and she found my youthful follies exciting and inspiring. If I had dwelled on that, I would have seen how inappropriate it was. But instead, I was thrilled to have impressed my mom in some way, which I was always striving to do. During her visit that fall, she wanted to meet all of my men, but I think that some of them she only met when she came to see the school. Jim had decided to impress her, though, so he got us tickets to see a drag show. It was my first time seeing such a thing, and I loved it so much. And we had a wonderful time. At the end of her visit, I think I remember her asking something about whether I was going to choose one of these guys to commit to, as if that was the end goal, after all. Despite her radical departures from the cultural norms that she had grown up with, she still had some deeply ingrained values that stayed with her, and the concept of monogamy kept pulling her back as much as she might have wanted to be a free spirit. I struggled with the same thing. 
Part of me felt like I was in my glory with four different relationships that served to feed all the facets of my personality. On one hand, I was thoroughly satisfied in every way. But let's face it, I was also burning out. I mean, I should have employed a secretary just to keep track of the appointments. Keep in mind, there was no iCal calendar and alerts and such to keep me on track. Going from lunch with one guy to photo shoot with another one to afternoon delight with a third dizzying to say the least it was bound to be a disaster at some point yep we'll get to that tomorrow oh what a tease that was kind of par for the course there such a tease okay i won't malign myself anymore i'll see you tomorrow want to make some juicy passive income but don't know where to start you need to check out Girls Trade 2. Girls Trade 2 is an online community of women learning to trade in the stock market so they can boost their savings and get off that dang hamster wheel of work, work, work. So if you want some help figuring out the stock market, check out a free web class at girlstrade2.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.